the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. This episode brought to you by Lockwood Inner Circle. That is a, a membership that Pearl and I created because we hear it all the time from parents that they're not getting everything they need from their guidance counselors. The fact of the matter is, is that you begin building that body of work, or your child does, from ninth grade forward, maybe even earlier, because every class, every extracurricular, every summer opportunity, etc., that all goes into that body of work that will ultimately be summarized in a closing argument, the college applications, three and a half years later. So we created the Lockwood Inner Circle membership because so many parents have no idea what they should be doing and when they should be doing it. Timelines, deadlines, you name it. Also, the membership includes a double secret tool that we use to help predict chances of getting in to your dream colleges and everywhere else you're applying, as well as the odds of winning fat, juicy, merit, and need-based financial aid offers. It's a privately available tool that's proprietary, and it was developed by someone really high up in the, uh, on the totem pole at a, an elite Ivy League institution and someone who was actually very deeply involved with the College Board back in the good old days. So it's all available to you at LockwoodInnerCircle.com. Podcast listeners get 50% off of this membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when they check out. Please enjoy the show, and if you like what you hear, we wouldn't mind if you gave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Go for five or six stars, maybe seven stars, whatever you can do. It's kind of a shameless uh, request, but you know what? It helps our reach and get through to other parents. So I would appreciate it. So would Pearl. She doesn't know I'm asking you to do this, so let's just keep that between us. <laughs> uh, enjoy the episode. Bye-bye. The following was originally broadcast as an episode of College Coffee and COVID Talk, a weekly show about the latest college admissions and financial aid developments caused by the coronavirus pandemic with college advisors Pearl and Andy Lockwood. Go to LockwoodCollegePrep.com slash Corona for more information. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com slash Corona. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of College Coffee and COVID Talk. Pearl and Andy Lockwood. Hello, Pearl. Hello, Andy. Hi, everybody. Let's start off with the simultaneous sip of coffee or whatever you have. Water. Post Peloton. Yeah. Okay. You know, we we I have gotten feedback that people actually do that with us. What? It's not, oh, simultaneous do, do our sip. toast? Yeah. Yay. Yeah, so it's not just me with All right. idiotic idea. So a lot to talk about. Uh, every week seems like there's new stuff happening because of um, you know coronavirus and SATs and ACTs and what colleges are doing. Um, the big focus today, uh, other than just getting through a little bit of you know topical stuff, is we have a very special guest who's a, a learning specialist, and she's going to talk about how to fix all these online problems, uh, online learning problems, issues. Um, just to make it easier for kids to actually, you know, accomplish things and, and be successful, whether they're in college or in high school or possibly even younger. So let's see who is uh, joining us this morning. Let me go right into good morning to Ann Arnold and Christina Albano. Is that really coffee in Pearl's cup? That's the, is that water or it's water? 
Scotch. No booze, not yet. Barbara Levy says hi, and she knows you're drinking water. She is. How does she know that? Great minds. Good. All right. Well, a couple things I just wanted to um, talk about uh, before we bring in our guest. First of all, colleges are still trying to figure out, uh, you know, whether they're going to start early, go through um, up until Thanksgiving, then come back. They're also talking about different um, batting around different payment options. So one of the choices that I saw uh, that, that was interesting to me, that's, that's being, you know, no one's technically said they're, they're doing this to my knowledge, but some sort of pandemic rebate, which would operate as um, you, you pay your regular tuition, but then you get the last semester rebated to you, which, which encourages people to stay Very. in, yeah, to stay enrolled. So I Sneaky. thought, yeah, that, that was interesting. <laughs> that was written, um, that was covered by Jeff Salengo, who's a college author that, that I follow a lot. Um, there's all sorts of other you know, discussions about going a la carte, you know, a core, you know, basic curriculum, and then you just pay extra for, you know, onesie twosie for the things that you're interested in. Um, so talk about a gig economy. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, the other thing is, let me grab that, not my, my sheet that I gave you, in terms of the polls. So there's a poll that was reported inside higher ed uh, that compares students, uh, you know, class of 2021 kids to 2020 kids, in terms of, for example, took their first SAT or ACT in the second half of 11th grade, 41.14% did that last year of 2019 kids. And this year, uh, I'm sorry, they're compared 2019 to 2020 kids. This year, 12% took um, took the SATs in the second half of uh, 11th grade. Um, last year for 2019 kids, 40.93% met with their counselors and teachers about colleges. And for 2020 kids, that was 17%. Um, in terms of plans for after high school, in 2019 grads, about um, 2.7% thought about taking a gap year. And in 2020, it actually dropped to 2.23%, which is actually mm -hmm. good news for 2021 kids who are right. upset or possibly stressed out about whether they'll be able to you know, compete for spots or whether there'll be fewer spots. So um, I've been kind of saying that all along. I think that the talk about gap years is kind of interesting in the as a vacuum to talk about. But I think in reality, when kids are like, what am I going to do? I'm not so sure that it's going to evolve beyond just talk. It's true. Plus, in the face of this moment in time where things are opening up, irrespective of the fact that there is a known expected uptick, a reemergence, I think the more open things are and feel, the more normal course people will move towards and stop talking about gap years that were only discussed in, in light of COVID. Yeah, in theory also. Um, right. Top factors in college choice. Uh, financial aid for 2019 kids, 38.86%. Uh, that was a, that was the number one factor. For 2020 kids, 58.91%. And then closely related uh, in terms of how much of a factor was the cost of education. I mean, it's, I mean, it's really the same thing. 59.65% uh, of 2019 said so. And in 20, for 2020 grads, 78.7%. Um, 
<laughs> the Sea of Hobsons, which I think makes Naviance, was, was quoted here as saying, she was struck by the large increase in the number of students who cited financial aid and majors as a top factor in their, cho in their choice. She, and she was um, surprised by the high number of 11th graders who didn't make meaningful progress in their college searches during the year. Yeah, I don't know how surprising that is. But anyway, so... So hello to Sid Rothstein and hello to Lori Sado. So if anyone has any questions uh, now and as we segue into the um, main event here, special guest, I'm going to bring him in right now. This is a good chance to add your questions. Um, Maggie, are you able to hear and see us? I can. All right. So with us, Dr. Maggie Ray, who is a, uh, a learning specialist and academic coach. She's got a PhD in neurobi uh, neurobiology and behavior from Cornell and a bachelor's in astrophysics from Princeton. So it's kind of interesting because Pearl did her undergrad at, um, at Cornell. So you have that in common. Oh, great. And um, I've been watching a lot of the ancient aliens shows. Uh, so I'm, I'm learning substantially what you learned as an astrophysicist in Princeton. Precisely. Definitely the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to have you on. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I, I want to talk to you, you know, a lot with, with you about um, the ways that kids are just kind of you know, kicking the can down the road or, or just failing at learning and the way the schools are learning and, and tips to help them. Um, I'm just curious, though, I, I know I know I must have asked you this before, but how, how did you go from uh, studying astrophysics to becoming, you know, an expert on uh, on learning and helping kids and coaching kids with ADHD and all sorts of other issues? Oh, my gosh. I'll, I'll tell you the short version because the long one would keep us here too long. <laughs> but um so really the transition was the, the astrophysics was was me being excited about learning, loving learning things, getting this idea as a kid, which I think you do as a, as a high school student, that the harder your subject is that you study, the better. You know, honors is better than regular, AP is better than honors. So obviously the hardest thing you can study is obviously the best thing. Uh, this is through a lack of career counseling and advising on <laughs> what is the smart thing to major in. And so, of course, going into college, I figured, well, this, this is the hardest major. It's obviously got to be the best one. So that's how I ended up there. Um, I think less less through uh, ideal fit for me and more through that desire to just do the hardest possible thing. Uh, and, and then thinking about career fit, uh, it really made a lot more sense to me to, to work in some sort of realm where I was understanding learning and uh, the brain and behavior. And that was much more, more interesting intrinsically to me. So that's kind of what I was focusing on for grad school, um, looking at individual differences in personality and individual differences in learning. And uh, the thing that frustrated me about that was that there's a lot of academic research out there that doesn't really get filtered down into the hands of anybody who could actually use it. So once you're at the level of doing a PhD, all of that research is so detailed and so specific. And it's the kind of thing where you write up this paper and, and maybe three or four people are going to read it in the world. And so, I, and I actually went through a health challenge when I was in grad school, um, had a blood clot, was in the hospital and kind of had that stereotypical moment of you think, what kind of difference am I making in my life? Uh, why am I here? What is the point of anything I'm doing? And I, I had this sort of wake up call where I realized I need to do something that is going to help people in a bigger way than publishing a couple papers in a couple journals that a couple people are going to read. And so that's what kind of set me on this quest to figure out how do I translate this, this knowledge that we have about how to 
learn effectively and, and how to make sure that we're being our best selves into the hands of people who can actually use it. And I find teenagers are a great age for that. They're hungry for it. They want to know how to do things well, as long as it's not coming from a parent, <laughs> that is. And, um, and, yeah. and exactly. And, and they're at that age where it's going to impact the rest of their life. And so the, the ADHD piece came from when I started to, to do coaching for students, academic coaching for students, I was running into a lot of kids um, that had ADHD and it was having a significant impact on their ability to learn and their ability to reach their goals. And so that's where uh, I went through some additional training just on ADHD specific coaching. And, and I found that a lot of the things that kids with ADHD should be doing are actually things that all kids should be doing. It's just, if you have ADHD, you can't get away without doing them because your brain will uh, disappear on you and go take a vacation and, and it, you won't be paying attention to what you need to learn, but everybody needs to be doing these things ideally. So it's not like you've got to do these different weird things because you've got ADHD. It's, it's just, you need to apply best practices because otherwise things aren't going to work, but really everybody would benefit from doing those same strategies, whether you've got ADHD or not. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. Okay. All right. So here's a loaded question. Um, so what's, what's changed now, now that, now that the, the world has gone online, uh, what's changed for high school kids in terms mm -hmm. of how they learn and, uh, feel free to extend that beyond to college students. Sure. Well, it feels like everything's changed, right? It feels like the whole world is turned upside down. And so uh, a lot has changed, obviously. I can't even t begin to touch upon all of it. But the biggest thing for students, it's interesting you mentioned high school versus college, because we actually found for a lot of, we work with middle school, high school, and college students. And so we actually found that a lot of our college students were hit harder with the transition this spring than our high school and our middle school students. And I think part of the reason why is because they were actually having to change their living situation as well as their school. So they were living in a dorm and they had to all of a sudden move home. Uh, everything changed about their environment, all their on-campus activities, their day-to-day -day routines, everything was disrupted. So from the moment that they wake up and to going to class, to going to sleep, everything's changed. And so that really had a, threw a significant wrench into their plans, especially if they're kids who learn well through interaction. That hit every kid, whether it was college or high school, the ability to interact with teachers, uh, their ability to retain information, the level of distraction obviously went through the roof. We all know that kids' biggest distractions are their technology, right? And now they're surrounded by that technology. They've got no teacher to say, put your phone away. You're in the middle of class. <laughs> put that down. You need to pay attention to me. They've got no eye contact with the teacher. Most of the learning is now asynchronous. So we had some, I actually did see some high schools, and these tended to be the kids who got the best results from the, among the students we were working with, where the high schools actually went to almost a simulated school day. So the kids would get online at particular times, they would see particular teachers face to face. These are mostly private schools, they had to be, because a public school can't assume a kid's going to have internet connection and that they're going to be able to be available at all those times. Um, but they did, we did see some schools that were doing that and they'd log on, you know, and nine o'clock was science and then they'd have office hours and then they'd have, you know, 10 o'clock was English and so on and so forth. Those kids didn't, tended to do a lot better mm -hmm. and got much better results and they were less distressed by the change. Uh, they had better outcomes with their education. So I think that can give us some helpful clues potentially about how moving forward, we can help kids adapt to this new situation if we do end up uh, having to to go back online in the fall. Good. Okay. So that brings me to the next question. If we are online in the fall, what can kids do now and then to mm -hmm. prepare more effectively? And what are some of the principles of online learning you can share that they can follow perhaps 
Definitely. So there's a, there's a lot. Um, one thing to keep in mind is, is we're, we've got to acknowledge for, for kids that this is not the ideal. I think a lot of times they're going to wish they could change things that they can't, they can't change everything, but for most students in any circumstances is true. Certainly now, um, as, as well as any other time, there's more in their control than they think there is. So it feels powerless. It feels like there's nothing I can do about this. And this is horrible. And, <laughs> and, and the truth is that they actually do have a lot of power to, to change their circumstances. So one thing that they can do, which is really, really important is creating as much connection as they can with their teachers. I know it's hard, but I've, I've seen some students who are, they're skipping classes. They're not going, even though they have these optional, they're, they're optional classes because teachers can't officially require them because what are you gonna do if you've got a kid who doesn't have an internet connection? But that doesn't mean that you can't show up. If you're, if you're connected and you're able to go, um, having that line of communication open to the teachers, asking questions, a lot of students are getting more confused or they're missing announcements or they're not seeing things that they need to be doing. So making sure they've got that line of communication open with their teachers, that they're showing up to office hours, that they're uh, emailing. I know a lot of kids aren't used to checking their email. That sounds weird to us as adults who live in our email, but a lot of kids aren't used to it. And I think sometimes as parents or as adults, it's hard to, to wrap your head around the fact that they might not even know how to write an email. If we're talking about a middle school student or even a ninth grader starting high school, they might not actually understand how do you write a clear, well-worded email to your teacher. It's a little intimidating because they don't do that. They text their friends, maybe, or they're they're on Instagram, or they're they're not they're not sending emails. So to help them understand, I've got an article I like to show to students how to email your professors without being annoying. Um, it's based written by a professor. Um, I can send you all the link if you want, but it's. It just helps, I think, for them to understand, look, there are some things that you should do and some things you shouldn't do when communicating, and that can have a big impact on your teacher. If assuming they're, they're still continuing with this college process, you're still gonna need recommendation letters from teachers. You're still gonna need people to have a good impression of you. Your teacher's impression of you as a student is still gonna impact their grading a little bit if it's a subjective class. So you showing up, doing the work, turning in everything on time is gonna make a big impact. So that's number one. And then the second one I think is based off of the results we were seeing with the kids who had that synchronous class schedule that kind of simulated a real school day is the closer you can get to that experience of actually being in school, in school when you're in this online learning environment, the better. If you can go somewhere, for example, that's not your bed. So basic, right? But so many students are doing school from, from their bed. So if they can find another place, I know it's hard and it might require maybe some shifting around where people aren't in their normal workspaces at home. But if there's any way to set up a workspace that's outside of their room, even college students know this, they don't get anything done in their dorms. So for a student to, to try to stay all day in their bedroom and work on schoolwork and then relax also in their bedroom, hmm. it, it's not great. It's not great because their brain gets confused. It, they, we're, we're sitting in our bed. Are we sleeping? Are we texting? Are we doing schoolwork? We don't know. <laughs> so the only way to get yourself to do the work is through willpower, which as we all know is a limited resource and it's going to get exhausted throughout the course of the day. And then you're just going to end up defaulting to the path of least resistance, which is usually some sort of social media or uh, Netflix or YouTube or something like that. So Snapchat. Mm -hmm. creating yeah. some sort of structure and creating yeah. some sort of environment to get that work done is really, really important. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking um, throughout is that Same. we're talking a lot about structure exactly. and, and setting up and, and setting up, you know, a system um, as opposed to just kind of letting things happen. And that's um, mm -hmm. since business owners, we talk about that stuff all the oh, yeah. time in life. We talk about, you know, I, so I, I don't see why yeah. it would be any different. 
for uh, for for students. So absolutely. I, I, and I always observe that um, w one of the biggest transitions in pre-pandemic times for kids going to college is that there all of a sudden there's not as much structure, hardly mm -hmm. any structure. They have so much more free time than they ever right. did before, and and now they're getting a you know on a different different angle, but a dose of that. You know, mm -hmm. so, so maybe that could be a good thing to teach them more independence. Exactly. It's a good thing. If they learn how to do it right, it could be a really good thing. Yes, because it's teaching them to be proactive. It's teaching them to be independent, to be intentional with their time. Yeah. So many kids aren't used to being intentional. They exactly. wake up and all day long, they're told what to do by their teachers, by their parents, by their sports coaches. They're, there's a plan for their day for and they're they're completely micromanaged. And so if they can get used to this idea of, I'm in charge of my time and I'm in charge. If I want to wake up and get all my schoolwork done by noon and then go relax, more power to me. That's one of the great things. The kids I've seen who excel in online learning and do really, really well, they are approaching it with that kind of intention and almost making it a game. Uh, when, How can I power through this information or when do I want to schedule this around other things I enjoy, building time that's guilt-free relaxation into their day. The kids who don't do it well are the ones who have no intention. They just kind of are sort of half working, half not working all day long. The work is hanging over their head. They never really get downtime to relax. They feel like they've got to always be on. So those are very different extremes. And I think a big the big part of what puts you in one camp or the other is just your intention and your uh, desire to do it. Uh, and some kids don't realize that they've got that kind of power because they're not used to being in, that much in control of their day. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They, they don't realize there's like a lack of awareness that mm -hmm. has hopefully been brought to the forefront more now that we are forced to discuss creating structure in your time because it's all been the it's been completely unstructured. I think mm -hmm. what we typically see year after year kids who are lack the awareness of their own time management or the control over their own time and, and sense sensibilities, seeing oh I'm more of a morning person, so I'll. Mm -hmm. show actually be the CEO of my own life and I will plan accordingly right. and have that, you know, self-aware uh, knowledge in planning. Those kids who lack that, even just noticing that they have to be time budgeters, executive functioning, mm -hmm. functioning, ADHD things, all um, when they go to college and they have all of this time that is so unstructured, that is when everything can fall apart. Unfortunately. Well, I also look, I look at us, all of us as parents, you know, of kids and we, you know, we, our tendency is to boss them around and tell them here's mm -hmm. what you need to be doing and all that. But then in a sense that retards their growth and sure. their development and, and right. it's kind of right. it has that. to be a shift at some point where it's internalized. Well, and that's the other thing that I'll see sometimes parents struggling with is how do how do I make that transition? And sometimes there's this temptation to go a little bit too extreme and to say, okay, well, I've been telling them what to do and where to go. And, and you know what, I'm done. I'm going to, they're, they're on their own, <laughs> but they don't know how to do that because they haven't been trained. So there ideally is some sort of transition there where, and that's part of what we try to do as coaches as well is to, to not just step in and say, do this, but to step in and say, huh, what do you think would be best to do first today? get that thought process going. How do you prioritize your work? What do you do first, second, third? Uh, how much time do you think that's going to take? How much time did it take last time? Let's think this through because they need to develop, just like you said, Pearl, those executive functioning skills. Uh, that's something that's developing through this period of adolescence. So they they don't have those fully online until their mid to late 20s. So we're, we're expecting them to do these very complicated 
planning, projecting into the future, breaking things down, estimating time, uh, prioritizing, keeping themselves focused and on track, resisting impulses and temptations. There's a lot that we're expecting kids to do at this age when their brain's not really fully developed yet. And so it requires some training to kind of bridge that gap so that they know how to best use the skills that they, they do have access to. Hmm. All right. So if you're just joining us, we're interviewing Dr. Maggie Ray, who is a learning coach, an academic coach and certified ADHD coach. And we're talking about the new world of online learning and how to cope with it, how to fix it. So um, what are some of the big mistakes that uh, that you see happening? I guess we sort of touched on them um, mm-hmm. organically here. But what if you had to name you know, the top you know, two or three mistakes that you see families and kids and parents uh, committing, what would you say they are? Well, they're, they're the mistakes with the, the way that they're structuring their time, which we've kind of touched on, you know, not having structure, not communicating with teachers. Those are two of the big ones. Um, but then there's also kind of a mistake in, in the way that they're going about the learning process. I find a lot of students in that same spirit we were talking about taking ownership of your time. They're not necessarily taking ownership of their learning. So, for example, they'll be given an assignment and they'll do it to kind of, kind of get it done. Uh, we'll try to make that distinction with students. Are you doing this to get it done or are you doing it to, to really learn it? So your job is not just to fill out the worksheet. Your job is to figure out what's the content I'm supposed to master here and have I mastered it? Do I understand this concept? Do I understand uh, this material? Could I answer a test question on it? Kids aren't taking that extra step oftentimes. And and especially this is important when it comes to uh, watching passive online videos. This, this, This whole online learning format is very geared towards passive consumption of material. It kind of puts kids into the mindset of, watching a YouTube video or watching a Netflix series. Like, okay, let me relax on my bed and watch this video. But that's you passively putting information into your brain. How do you know that when it's time for the test, you're going to be able to recall that information? That's a getting it out of your brain process, not a getting it into your brain. So it's really easy for our brains to absorb information. You'll probably find that if you if you go to a to a place and you maybe hear a song you haven't heard for a long time, or you, you smell a scent you haven't smelled for, since high school or something. It'll all come back to you, these rushes of experience. But you wouldn't have been able to access that if somebody said, what song was playing at your high school prom? You probably couldn't remember. But when you hear it, it'll come back to you. Our brain's great at remembering information, but getting it out on command when you're in the middle of a test under stress and under pressure is really hard. So what I find a lot of kids are doing is they're, they're kind of passively letting their brain accept information, but they're not practicing that recall part. And so they'll often go into a test saying, oh, I know this, I know this. Um, they might even reassure you as a parent, oh, don't worry, I've got this. And then they go into the test and they realize they don't because they've never practiced recalling. And it starts at the very beginning when you're learning the material. Are you actively engaged? Are you pausing the video to try to guess the answer to that question that they're about to answer? Are you taking notes in a way that makes sense to you and then flipping them over after you're done and saying, okay, what do I remember from what they just shared with me today? Could I teach that to a friend? Could I explain that to a parent? Could I get that information out of my own brain? Kids aren't really doing that. And I think it gets worse with online learning when it is not interactive at all. You can't even raise your hand to ask a question if you wanted to. So that's one of the strategies we'll try to teach students in a, in a real class is raise your hand, ask questions, interrupt the, the process so that you can pause and make sure you're understanding. They can't do that in a pre-recorded lecture. So it, it predisposes kids even more to slip into that passive mode of learning, which really doesn't work for their retention. And we're seeing that in surveys of students what's happening to them with their online learning, they feel like they're not retaining. And that's the truth. They're not retaining. It's not just a feeling. They're not retaining it as well. Uh, And they feel more distracted and unfocused because in the same browser that they've got that lecture, they've also got three or four other tabs, including their latest Netflix series that they're binge watching. And so 
anytime that lecture gets boring or difficult, they're going to switch tabs. And so really and helping students understand that in learning, there's this thing called desirable difficulty. It should feel hard. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of kids aren't expecting learning to feel hard. They're expecting it to feel easy and fun. And if it's not entertaining, then they flip off and they go watch a, a Netflix series. But that's how things stick in your brain. I mean, even down to studies showing when you when you read something and it's, it's harder to understand, the text is a little blurry or it's a little fuzzy and you have to really focus and try to read it. Versus if you read something that's clear and easy to skim, you actually retain the, the poorly printed yellowed paper <laughs> faded text version better because your brain had to work to learn it. So that's why you do this stuff like taking notes or quizzing yourself. It's not because it's easy. It's because it feels hard. And that's what makes it stick. So we're getting a lot of questions coming in here. So do you, do you mind going on the hot seat a little bit before we go for it? Yeah. Okay. I, th I think you can handle it. So. All right, yeah. so Sid Rothstein is here again. Welcome, and Lori, and okay. Um, I guess this is probably more of a question for us. Uh, from, from Ann Arnold, will 2021 students be forced to compete for spots not only with their peers, but 2020 students as well? I mean, the, the answer is in, in a vacuum, yes. Uh, I'm, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference, personally. I, in, in the beginning, I, I read some stats from a recent study about kids planning to take gap years and not, you know, and not go to school right away or graduate in 2020. And it's only like 2%, which was very favorable um, by way of comparison to the previous year for 2019 kids. So, so far, I don't think that's going to be much of an issue. Um, Ann Panopoulos says, hi, our high school doesn't require kids to show up and deadlines are meaningless. How can I help my son realize that showing up, showing interest and doing his best should happen despite the school making it all too easy for him to check out? Thank True. you. That's a nice loaded question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fix that. Oh, gosh, I wish I could fix it. So there's there's a couple things we can look at. So my, my first go to um, if I, I wish what I wish we could do is I wish we could just change the way the school is responding, because I, I think hmm. that the, the way that they're they're setting this up. Imagine if you went to work, your boss didn't care if you turned things in. There was no deadline. Uh, that your pay, your, how much you got paid had no, you know, no relationship to the amount of work that you did or whether you checked out and, and went on a three hour lunch. Of course, you wouldn't put your best work in. So it's for one thing, I think, to not judge our kids when they're in these circumstances and to say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you showing up and doing your best work? Well, of course, you're not showing up and doing your best work. The system is set up in such a way to almost encourage and incentivize you to blow this off and not care. So so that's one thing is to I'd say start with understanding and saying, hey, I get it. If my teacher wasn't counting this stuff, I'd be really tempted to not care either. And I also know what it feels like to show up and to be checked out all day. And it's not fun. I'm sure you don't like being in this situation. And I'm wondering, what do you want this school year to be like? So this is this is something that I'll, we do as coaches a lot is we're trying to if, if we can't change the system, which we don't have control over that. You could write a very strongly worded email to the school. <laughs> and, and I have seen some schools respond or some teachers realize, oh, wait, this policy isn't actually helping my kids. Their goal is to help their kids. So if they realize that they're not helping their kids and they're getting a lot of feedback from parents that this is not helping and this isn't doing what we need, they may reconsider their policy. If that doesn't work, then I would look at, is there any way to get intrinsic motivation going for this kid? Because this is a high school student. So do, do it because I say so isn't necessarily going to get you all that far. So, I mean, you can try. You can intrinsic sounding. Yeah. yeah, it's intrinsic. You could. Now, there there are ways you could do that. If that would be, but, but that would be my fail safe. Your backup plan, if you can get no intrinsic motivation, no buy-in, there's nothing your kid wants, they have no goals, they have no desire to do well, 
okay, maybe then we set something up for them where, you know, we're, we're checking in with, with the teachers or we've got some sort of incentive, figure out something, some way to link this to something that they do want. But, but that the problem with that is then if you take those incentives away, they're going to go back to doing nothing. So ideally you want to try to look at what is, what does my kid care about? What do they value? What's important to them? And is there any way to link this to something that they do care about and make it a conversation? What do they want the school year to be like? What are their goals for the future? How is showing up going to feel versus checking out and not doing anything for the whole school year? Um, and, and really see if there's any way to get that intrinsic motivation going for them, not necessarily doing it because they care um, about doing a great job in this particular class, but maybe they just don't want to be bored or maybe they want to get a better recommendation from the teacher or maybe they want to practice um, how they're going to stay engaged in a boring college class when they're paying a couple thousand dollars for the tuition. Because <laughs> believe me, they will have boring college professors. So you might have to think outside the box a little bit about what's in it for them, but try to put yourself in their shoes and, and have them help you do that to see what they can do to set things up. And don't be afraid to change you know, the environment at home because you're like we were talking about before, your environment does have a really powerful impact on your behavior. You know, one, one of the questions we get a lot, and I always I always kind of punt on this one is, well, how, you know, how do I motivate my kid? Because mm. my, my mm. feeling is always, you know, a lot of it has to be, you can't motivate them. A lot of it has to be in, intrinsic, but I'm, you know, I don't have your background. So mm -hmm. how would you respond to that? I mean, I think we kind of just touched on mm -hmm. that directly, but how do you answer right. that question? Well, and it, it kind of comes down to to your philosophy of kids, I think. So uh, Ross Green has a, a great video on this that I really enjoy. Uh, and it, it kind of comes down to your philosophy of do kids you know, do well if, if they can or do kids do well if they want to? And so if you imagine that kids do well if they want to uh, and, you know, kids kids show up and they do a good job in school if they want to do well in school, then our job is to make them want to. So we need to create carrots and sticks and, and incentives and reward charts and all of that kind of stuff. But if we, on the other hand, on the flip side, can can assume take for granted that no kid wakes up in the morning wanting to be bored, to be checked out, to be failing a class, to be doing poorly. That's not fun. Nobody wants that. If we assume that that's the case, then, then we can look at them through a different set of lenses and assume, okay, well, if they're not doing their best work, it's because there's something getting in the way. Maybe they're having a hard time connecting to the material. Maybe they don't really enjoy getting, you know, they don't get along with this teacher or their teaching style. Uh, or maybe they're having trouble connecting the grades that they're earning right now to the benefit that's going to get them later in their life. Uh, maybe they're having trouble resisting impulses because of all those tabs that are open on their screen. There's something getting in the way. So as a coach, that that's always my assumption. And for the most part, I found that borne out by, by actually talking to the kids and having discussions with them about what they want is they do want to do well. I rarely, rarely meet a kid who says, I really want to fail all my classes and I really want to check out of school and not do my best work. They usually do want to do well. They're just struggling with how. So if you can see them in that way, then I think those conversations turn around and they it's less about you motivating them and more about uh, coming in and seeing what obstacles can we get unblocked? How can we kind of un uncover the natural motivation that actually is there underneath the surface? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I was thinking when when you were saying that is that you're you're sort of you've got a base assumption that they want to be successful mm -hmm. in general, um, and I guess the trick is to how to bring it out or how to link you know the the required tasks to that. Right. Wouldn't we all love to know that, right? As, as, as managers, as bosses, as teachers, as coaches, as we all want to know that. How do we bring out the best in our people? And that's effectively what you're talking about is how do you bring out the best in somebody that 
that you're in this collaborative relationship with, because that's the tricky part is that as a, as a parent at, of a high schooler, it is a little bit more of a collaborative situation. You can't, again, can't say learn because I say so. Learning doesn't really work like that, unfortunately. Yeah. So it, it does require a little bit more creativity. <laughs> All right. So I'm just seeing a few more comments here. But if anyone has any questions, this is a good opportunity to fire them away. Uh, what's Christina Albano mm -hmm. say here? All grades are going pass fail or P plus. Uh, I'm afraid that he won't put the shame. effort in if he's going to get stuck with just the pass fail and whatever. I, I can't blame him. Both, but we're both furious. Any suggestions on how to deal with pass fail? Well, I'm curious. You might know the answer to this better than I would, Andy. But I, there's usually a section in the college applications where you can put in additional information. Just list, mm -hmm. like for example, on the Common App. So, is there? Would there be any way to list or include a, a picture of what his actual grades were? Because then, then the college would know. I mean, I don't think the colleges want to be left without this very important piece of information about how kids were actually doing and have all of that masked under the, the, the blanket of, oh, everybody passes. I yeah. think the, the colleges would really enjoy knowing that. So if your son actually has grades listed somewhere on an online portal, um, somewhere that would be reliable and not just saying, I had these grades, <laughs> which you could say, say anything you want. But a lot of times they will have online learning platforms where, where kids will have grades being posted but then they'll just put them on the report card as a P plus or whatever it is. So yeah. I'd, I'd look at that and see if there's any way your teachers can provide a report because then that he could still experience some sort of benefit from getting those grades he's worked so hard for. Yeah, great uh, suggestion. That's a great, yeah, that's a great suggestion. And the guidance counselor also can you mm -hmm. know, write an explanatory note. They have their own confines that they have to operate within, but they can certainly do that too. Um, yeah, it, it is hard for colleges. It's hard in general because of all the grade inflation for college mm -hmm. officers to figure out how well qualified someone is now with pass fail. I don't know how much that changes, but but to me that okay. circles back to stuff we've been talking about a lot each week, which which is the SATs and the ACTs. There's a, there's a lot of schools that you know every, every week there's another handful of schools that are saying their test optional, but that doesn't mean that if you have good test scores, you shouldn't submit them. It's the mm -hmm. opposite because you'll, you'll be com competing on a different playing field um, if you show your scores. Um, Lori, what was the video, Maggie? Ah, Ross, R-O-S-S, Ross Green. Okay. Can you post that? Yeah, okay. Sure. And I can, I can send you all the links as well. All right, great. Um, Vicky Poulos, what are your thoughts on the blended methods administrators are recommending for the fall, half online, half in school? Will it be too confusing? Will it be harder to navigate that all online? What do you think? Mm. Well, probably yes. And the question is, is it worth it? So uh, it depends on your kid. I mean, we've had a couple of kids that we've worked with who love online learning. They're doing so great. They're they're enjoying it. They say, do we ever have to go back to in-person school? It's usually the the socially awkward introverts who love being at home. Right. Uh, and and now all the social pressure of high school is gone and they're thrilled. Right. They would love to just stay at home. But aside from those handful of kids, most of the students that we've we've talked to and interacted with they really miss being in person. They really miss the interaction. They don't feel like they're learning as well. So I think, yes, it'll be more complicated, especially for kids who struggle with any sort of executive functioning challenges and already are having a hard time. Um, it, it's kind of akin to kids who are switching houses from parent to parent. Um, we've run into that a lot. Um, it's, or, or kids who are on these really complicated block schedules. 
basically you can kind of think of it as a really complicated block schedule. It's like now instead of A block and B block, it's online block and in-person block. Yeah. And so we're going to have to think about the same sort of strategies we've used for block schedule, right? You print out something and put it on your binder that shows, you know, what do I do on A day versus B day? Okay, well, maybe we have a binder, you know, front of it is online day and back of it is uh, in person or I post something that's online, you know, on my wall at home where I'm working and then I have my other printed mm -hmm. schedule for my binder when I'm taking to school with me. So it'll take a little bit of work to, to help kids, especially if they're younger, figure out where am I going? What am I doing? What kind of day is it? So helping them create that structure and make it visible will be a little bit tricky. But the, the payoff in terms of their increased learning and, and comprehension is presumably why the schools are doing it. Great. That's, that's very helpful. Um, okay. More, if anyone has any questions for learning expert Maggie Ray, Dr. Maggie Ray, this is a good opportunity to get them answered for free. And if you're enjoying this, please comment, share, do whatever you do on social to indicate that. Um, yeah. So Christine Albano is taking you up on your suggestion to print out the portal mm -hmm. stuff. Carl Lockwood's weighing in here. Um, Barbara, print out her. what? What is I'm the answering. print out what? The grades? <laughs> right now. Yeah. And what is your answer to print out the grades? Uh, that you should print out, exactly. That if From the in the classes that are pass fail, if the student is performing very well mm -hmm. and has great grades to show, and there is some official place where we can see it or one can see it so that it could be photographed or downloaded in some way as uh, something that should go into the college application so that you, you as the students can distinguish yourself from just passing if you have A's. All right. All right, so um, let me ask one final question that I've been um, meaning to ask you, but I've been putting off. Uh, how do you deal with procrastination? Oh gosh, <laughs> the million dollar question. <laughs> that would be great uh, if we could just solve that magically. So part, Part of it's how we can I just do it tomorrow, right? I know we could we could put it off for later, but it it is part partially how our brains are wired. Of course, we have these all these processes like future discounting, and and we have trouble estimating time in the future. So sometimes we can use some tricks on our brain that will help us uh, make those those quirks of the way that our brains work uh, a little bit less likely to happen. So uh, one problem, for example, is is not. Uh, understanding how much time is left. Time feels very uh, abstract relative to space. If you're trying to fit something into a physical amount of space, your brain can kind of wrap itself around what that means. But if you're trying to fit tasks into a physical amount of time, that feels way more abstract. And, our, and we have this tendency to overestimate how capable our future selves are going to be. So there's kind of this illusion. They've even looked at studies where people estimate how much uh, work they're going to get done in a future work week, like two months from now. And they'll plan out, you know, 65 hours of work for that work week, whereas they plan 40 hours for the current week. So that's one trick you can use if your kids are saying, oh, I'll do that paper on Thursday or I'll do that paper on, on you know, next Tuesday to say, OK, well, would you want to do that paper today? Because that future day is going to feel like today. And, and usually they'll say no. I, in fact, I almost never have a kid say, oh yeah, I wanna do all that work I just said I'm gonna do next week today. Well, if you don't, let's think about how much would you wanna do today? And then we can split it up into chunks that you would actually want to, all, all of those chunks feel like chunks you would be willing to do today. Um, so that's one way you can kind of fight your brain's tendency to overestimate how much motivation and time and energy your future self is going to have is to, to plan all, all of your work as if it needed to be done today and then to make that plan as visual as you possibly can. So I really like Google Calendar. Um, some students like physical paper planners where they can see a week at a time and they've got their time and they can block out 
the times that they're going to get things done, but anything where you can actually see the time, because that's the other problem is that kids will say, oh, I'll do it later. Hmm. But later is vague. They haven't said, oh, I'll do it on Monday at five after soccer practice. Not that we're going to soccer practice anymore, <laughs> but if we were. Um, and, and I think the, the lack of constraints and the lack of structure has actually made it harder and easier to procrastinate because you feel like, oh, we've got all this time later. So creating constraints on your day, kind of like we talked about the schedule before. So limited amounts of time. Sometimes for students who are at home and they've got really nothing going on, we'll even look at something like an unschedule where you schedule time off. You're not allowed to put work in these blocks. Um, or you can schedule work time and say, all right, I have a max of four hours a day to get work done. So I've got to be proactive about planning it and fitting it in there. So making time visible um, and also thinking about um, actions rather than outcomes. They'll say, I want to write that paper. Okay, well, great. But that's the result. <laughs> you want to have a written paper. What are the actions you've got to take? Because we want to be thinking in terms of, for example, well, I've got to find find three sources and then I've got to create my outline and then I've got to write my thesis statement or whatever order you're going to put that in. Um, I've got to get my teacher to review it or, oh yeah, I wanted to send it to the writing center. They only have appointments open on these particular days. So when we really get into the logistics, a lot of times kids don't even open the rubric or they don't even open the assignment until the day before. And so they of course, they're procrastinating because they're just they're thinking about the outcome. I've got to turn this paper in, but they're not thinking about the process. So really encouraging them to think about the process on the first day. They and then once they're looking at it with eyes wide open, if they really look at all of that and they say, you know what? Yeah, I would I would happily do all that today. But today I've got a higher priority thing. I'm going to put that tomorrow. That's being intentional. We just want to make sure that they're not uh, just assuming that things are going to be fine without looking or without checking, because that's where they really get into trouble is when they don't realize what exactly what monstrosity of a project that they have just put off uh, until the very last minute. Mm. I mean, I, I think, yeah, all, all, that, all that is great. I, you know, what, I, what I, it always comes down to um, with me is, you know, it's great to have all these strategies, but it's really about the implementation, mm -hmm. taking the action. So that, mm -hmm. that segue into, can, can you talk a little bit about how you work with kids and the types of people that you can help and what they sure. can expect and, and how they get in contact with you. Absolutely. So yes, it's, it's, it's the kids, it's those kids who, who either they're struggling to put it into practice. Um, they, they usually are kind of the stereotypical, like smart, but scattered kids. They're not struggling from an inability to learn the material. They're just struggling from a, a, putting all the pieces together. Either they don't have really great study strategies or they don't have great ways to manage their time or they are continuously doing things at the last minute and stressed about it, that last piece is key. If they're doing things at the last minute and they're actually doing great, getting wonderful grades, uh, they're happy with it, they don't wanna change anything, probably not the best fit for coaching. That's more that the parents really stressed about them doing things this way and it's worrying them. We tend to work best with kids who know they could be getting better grades or they know they could be less stressed about school and they want to change things, but they're not quite sure how and their parents are just getting the sense that every suggestion that they bring, just because it's a parent, it's getting discounted and, and not listened to. So now when you say and dis wait, and you say discounted, that's a euphemism for blown off. Exactly. <laughs> Ignored in one ear out the other. Yes. yes. Just, just, okay. That, that does not, that that's irrelevant. To, you know, I know mom that that works for you, but that will never work for me. Even if it's a great, a great suggestion and a great idea. Or so, shut them up. Exactly, or that, or, depending or, on your kid. <laughs> so it's uh, it's coaching's really helpful for kids who uh, who really want to change their habits and want to change their behaviors and who want to learn better strategies. I kind of equate it to sports coaching 
sometimes kids get the idea that, you know, coaching is something for people who aren't doing a good job, but that's not how coaching works. Top executives have coaches, sports, you know, athletes have coaches, not because they're bad at what they do. They're doing that because they want to be excellent at what they do. So if, especially if kids are going into AP classes, they're going into college, they're transitioning to a higher level academically, they're, they're transitioning into high school, and they know that they don't have the tools to be successful because honestly, who is taught the tools to be successful? We don't have these classes in school. I think we should. How do you manage your time? How do you manage your motivation? How do you manage your energy? How do you study and learn effectively? They've done surveys of undergrads that show that most undergraduate students are learning using completely ineffective strategies and they think they work, which just drives me crazy. They're improvising because they've never been taught how to do this and your brain will trick you. And so for kids who are interested in that kind of stuff and they want to learn the most effective ways to do things and uh, they just don't want to hear it from a parent, <laughs> then coaches can be a really good solution for that. So if, if parents are interested in that, um, we have a actually an ebook, e a little presentation, a PDF that we put together um, to complement what we started to talk about today, because I know we didn't get a chance to get into all of it about 10 mistakes that students make with online learning. So they can check that out if they want to. I think you all have the link um, uh, that you can share, but I can. Yeah, let me post that right now. Make sure I do this correct, correctly. It's at creatingpositivefutures.com/andy-lockwood. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, and they can always visit. You can always visit our website too. We are always publishing articles on the blog, and so just creatingpositivefutures.com. You can check us out there. And I'm always happy to talk with parents. If you all have questions, if you've got concerns, if you want to send me an email, um, I I really love talking with you all because every conversation teaches me something new, and hopefully I can share some ideas. Whether your kid's a great fit for coaching or not. Um, I just know there are a lot of families that are frustrated because they know their kids could be earning better grades with less stress. And their kid, usually your kids know that too. And it's just feeling stuck and not knowing where to go next. So I'm happy to help if, if any of you are in that situation. Yeah, that's great. So what, what if someone wants to reach out to you directly, they should just go to your site, creatingpositivefutures.com? It's really easy to, to set up a call there. And then you can also just email me, Maggie, at creatingpositivefutures.com. You can always get in touch that way too. Yeah, sure. All right, cool. Let me see if there's any last questions before we wrap up. I did see a flurry of stuff happening here. Uh, as long as we have you, my ADHD son misses the most obvious thing. Sounds mean. Mm -hmm. How can we insist that they accept our help? I'm <laughs> joking. Uh, he does miss the most obvious thing. It's true. Um, we see that too. So again, going back to the, if he, if he could, he probably would to do it. So it's tricky that with because what you're describing is maybe a kid who's not open to help yet. Sometimes it's because they don't realize uh, they've they've had so much support and they've had so much structure. We see this sometimes with kids who are on IEPs or 504 plans. They've had tutors, they've had uh, you know IEP coordinators, they've got parents at home, and everybody's helping them so much that they just want all the help to go away. So sometimes it's a process of backing off a little bit of help for a little while so they can see. Um, oh, I'm not doing a great job with this without help. So maybe I kind of want some of that help back. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's just the way that you're approaching the help. So, so pointing things out or suggesting, you know, oh, I think there might be a little piece here that, that you would, you would want to incorporate or, oh, did you notice this instruction? I just noticed that I didn't see it before. So presenting the help in a way that doesn't sound like you're shaming them or judging them or uh, making them feel bad that they missed it. It may be that they're just not accepting it because they're they're getting defensive because they feel bad uh, that they missed it. So if you can approach it in a way that feels a little bit uh, non-judgmental and or or like a curious question, huh? I wonder if there's anything else in here we missed. Let's double check real quick. I always like to read over things twice myself just to make sure I didn't miss anything, and then have them see if they can if they can check again. Um, maybe there's ways to approach it that would feel uh, like things he'd be a bit more open to. So give that a try as well. 
A lot more of a stealth ninja tactic than slapping them in the head. So that's yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Leora Lerner, along the same lines, dealing with the ambitious kid with no follow through. Uh, example, I'll spend X hours mm -hmm. physics, developing, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. The goal is there. Then they spend their time procrastinating and give it up. That sounds like a priorities thing to me. It could be. Um, I'd, I'd be really curious. Yeah. What's getting in the way? Is it is the procrastination because things are really, really tempting uh, and pulling him away? So maybe he's just defaulting to the path of least resistance because, you know, the video game's right there in his room or something like that. Uh, or is the thing he's trying to do really, really hard and he doesn't know how to get started or he doesn't know where to begin. And so he's overwhelmed and he's shutting down and avoiding it. So those are the kind of the two factors you can look at. Are there's are those temptations really strong that are pulling him away and we can make those less accessible or less easy uh, to access or less tempting and fun? Or are there ways that we could make the, the big daunting goals? Maybe he's building this up. Sometimes kids who are really ambitious also tend to procrastinate a lot because they get overwhelmed. Their, their monumental project that they've built in their head is so hard and so difficult and so daunting that they just feel like, well, I can never accomplish that. I just, I'll, I'll do it later. And so they just push it off. So, so maybe the skill for that kid is figuring out how do I turn a big giant project into an easy first step right. so that I can actually feel like that's something I can accomplish. Yeah, so still, again, uh, approaching it not, from the, not yeah. from the idea of a kid who doesn't want to do it. He obviously wants to do it. He's motivated and ambitious, but what's getting in the way? It's, it's the, the line about how you eat an, an elephant, right? One, one bite at a time, chunk, mm -hmm. chunk it down. Um, all right, question from a teacher. Suggestions oh, on how to help students in these changing formats. Help with motivation slash learnings slash self-awareness, I guess. Yes, yes. Okay, so a couple things. So as teachers, um, I think really making sure that I know it feels like the things that you're putting online are clear and easy, easily organized, but thinking through the eyes of a kid, maybe even getting a kid to look at it when you're posting it up there, sometimes I'll see that kids are missing things or they're they're reading an announcement. When you're posting announcements, making sure that they're not many paragraphs long, <laughs> especially kids will read you know, a piece of that and then they'll miss this other part that was really important about that test on Thursday That's uh, that, and they don't see it and then they think it was still on Saturday or whatever it is. So. Um, shorter announcements, really watching organization. Um, if you do have videos that are asynchronous and not live, making those shorter and broken up into pieces is going to help with attention versus I've seen some teachers posting, you know, a two hour video and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what kid is going to sit through a two hour video or adult, um, <laughs> or, or, or adult. But none of us learned how well we're going to be spacing out by the end of, by, by, you know, 15 minutes into it. So um, seeing also if there are ways to, to make sure that kids do have access to you, whether that's online office hours, I know it's hard to require things, but uh, discussion boards, anything that you can do to get a connection with the student and then trying to proactively reaching out, reach out to them if you see that they're not engaged um, so that you understand, you know, what's the best way to contact them? How do they want to be contacted? Is it remind? Is it email? Is it text? Is it, I know there are restrictions sometimes in what teachers can use, but making sure you've got a line of communication either open to the student or their family can be really helpful as well. So um, anyway, lots of ideas to think about. Yeah, it's well, great. I think I think trying to see it through their eyes and and also chunking it down in you know in bites is, is great for the attention span challenge. Which, as you accurately pointed out, that's us too. It's not just mm -hmm. it's just right. our kids. Um, all right, thank you, Lori, and Lisa says thank you. All right, great. Well, uh, thank you 
so much for taking the time to uh, to to work through all this stuff with us. That's oh, my uh, pleasure. Just scratching the surface, of Absolutely. course. Absolutely. Just scratching. So. Uh, please check out Maggie's site, creatingpositivefutures.com, and for the report on the 10 mistakes that uh, kids make and how to avoid them, creatingpositivefutures.com slash Andy hyphen Lockwood, right? Yes, that's, right. that's the place. So uh, lots of mistakes. We could have added more mistakes with online learning, but those are the top yeah. 10 we see kids making all the time. So making sure you're avoiding those will be a great start. Maybe it's like a 10 volume set that you you crank out, you know? <laughs> the first 10, the second 10, the third 10. As yeah. online learning continues, I'm sure we're gonna keep racking these up. <laughs> right. oh, yeah. no. Okay. Um, all right, great. So, so thanks again. And thanks to everyone for joining us every week with College Coffee and COVID Talk. And again, uh, we appreciate your sharing this and liking this and helping us, you know, expand our reach to people who need this information. I think today today's episode was a great, uh, example of information you're just not getting anywhere else. So if you like this and you think it's valuable, uh, we would love it if you would continue to share this with your friends and family and frenemies on Facebook and whoever. Okay. All right. Any, any closing comments from you? No, have a good week. Thank you so much, Maggie. This was Thank you all so really much for great. having me. Yeah. So much fun. You all are all such a great time and, and what a wonderful audience with all of the questions as well. So thanks. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thank Talk you. to you soon. And thanks everyone for watching.